Open up to 1 Samuel chapter 18. As we just continue our journey through the Old Testament, we have a pretty amazing story before us today in the lives of Saul and, and Jonathan and David. You know, I think I've mentioned to you many times that in the New Testament, you know, in, in one sense you'll have a lot of letters. You have uh, uh, many letters in which God writes uh, to us. Uh, messages in the content of the letter. And uh, at the same time, when we read the Old Testament, though, we find that God speaks to us through the lives, not just the letters, but the lives of the individuals. And, you know, the Bible, in case you didn't know it, is like a mirror. And so when you read the Bible, the Lord will show you things about your life that, that need to be modified, that need to be changed. And what God does is he works with you. He he, you know, you cooperate with God. And so as you begin to surrender areas of your life, maybe you're here today and you have a drug problem or a drinking problem or maybe a problem with pornography. I think we all struggle with pride. Um, it could be fear. It could be anger. You might be here as an individual with outbursts of wrath. Um, just so many things that we have that the Lord, he, he holds up the mirror to us and then he says, look, Miho, this is you, you know, and, and this is not good. This is not good for you. And so come, you know, work with me on this. Yield this area of your life to me. Uh, find out what scriptures are pertinent to your problems and then really begin to apply them to your life. And then what you'll find is that you begin to live a life that not only God will bless you, but God will then really begin to bless others through your life. As you become a disciple of Christ, then you can actually disciple others. And so the whole Bible is good for that, even the Old Testament. And uh, and here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 18, which I could identify with a lot of these struggles we're going to find today and even the main one at the end. Because look what it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 18 in verse 1. It said, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, and the he there is David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And so remember last chapter, David slayed Goliath. Now he's having this conversation with King Saul. And as Jonathan just sees the whole thing, Jonathan, Saul's son, when he sees the, the, the defeat of the Philistines that David led, and he begins to kind of hear this guy talking to his dad, the Bible says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And the Bible says that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, different versions here say Jonathan became one in spirit with David. One version says Jonathan uh, and David became bound together in close friendship. Another version says there was an immediate bond between them. And so it's so cool, huh, when God does that with guys. You know, we need that as guys. I would venture to say that most guys here don't have someone like that in their life. And that's, that's a real, real uh, problem. 
you know, where you don't have someone like a Jonathan or someone like a David, someone that your hearts are knit together like this because of the love that you might have. You know, we find that these guys were a lot alike. They were brave believers. Uh, they were faithful fighters for the Lord God Almighty. And that's probably the best bond that you can have with someone you know, maybe you're not, you know, both going to be soldiers like that in the army, but, but when you're at soldiers in God's army, then you can really have hearts that are knit together, you know, like these guys. So they're examples for us. If you're here today and you're a brother, you know, you need men like this in your life. I think even for the sisters here, even though from what I've heard, it's more challenging for girls. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, I think that girls and guys are different, right? Girls will probably open up a little more. Not all, but most will open up, maybe even sometimes too much. And guys will just not open up at all. And what ends up happening is we don't know how to have relationships. Girls don't know how to have relationships. Guys don't know how to have relationships. And we are suffering. And, and we need to learn, I think, from the story of David and Jonathan. I mean, these guys, even though, you know, Jonathan died in the end, he died victoriously, man. He died, and I would not be surprised, in all honesty, when we get there in heaven one day, if Jonathan, and I don't know, I don't want to, you know, play competition here, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got a bigger reward than David did. And we're going to see as we go through this study some tremendous lessons that we learn from these guys. But all I know is this, that we need this, especially as guys. Here we see that Jonathan just sees um, something in David and his heart's knit to him. And so we read here in verse 2 what Saul does. It says in verse 2 that Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. If you remember before, David would go back and forth. Now Saul says, no, that's it, you're mine. You know, and in, in one sense, you know, Saul kept David in his house. But Jonathan kept David in his heart. And we're going to see there's a big difference. We're going to see how the father and son see David. You know, when you think about this, you guys, um, Saul's the king. Jonathan is his eldest son. And so Jonathan is the heir to the throne. But what we find him here doing, it's amazing to me, in verse 4, he took off the robe that was on him. He gave it to David with his armor even to his sword, his bow, and his belt. Basically what happened was Jonathan gives him these things, bestowing upon him the, the, camp, the coming kingdom. Now that's a huge thing. Apparently Jonathan, with an absolutely miraculous and supernatural humility, recognized and acknowledged David as the future king. And so we read in verse 3 that they made a covenant. So they made a covenant undoubtedly to be kind to one another, to be kind to one another's descendants. And Jonathan basically said, you know what? I'd be cool to sit at your right hand, David, because I know one day you're going to be the king. Now, I was reading this and I wasn't sure about this, but as I began to study more and more and looking into more of the history and the archaeology, I found that that was the practice, that you know, as he gave him his armor, he gave him his sword, he gave him his bow, he gave him his robe, he was basically giving him that whole position of the coming kingdom. As a matter of fact, Henry Morris, he's a brilliant man, he said, the practice of bestowing one's garments and weapons upon another is known from archaeological discoveries to have symbolized the transfer of one position to another. 
Jonathan evidently knew that God through Samuel had chosen David to be the next king over Israel instead of himself. And he gladly accepted this as God's will. Now, to me, this is amazing. I don't know about you guys, you know, but when I read this here, that the heir to the throne, Jonathan, would so easily, so readily, so obediently relinquish that throne to David, it just, it just blows me away. You know, but we keep reading this. And, and one thing we read over and over again is that David uh, and Jonathan had a relationship in which they loved each other. Notice again, it says right here in verse... One, that Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. We read the same thing in verse 3. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. What that means basically is he loved him as he loved himself. And I was thinking about this as I was reading through this and looking at the different translations. You know, that's the key. You know, what our problem is a lot of times is we are very prideful creatures. We are a fallen, you know, fellowship to the point that, you know, we don't want to relinquish our position. And, and, you know, we don't want to really, truly esteem others better than ourselves. And, and the problem is, is we don't love them. The reason is we don't love them as we love ourselves. You see, that's the problem. And we see the answers right here. It's a drastic thing, but it's a basic thing that if we just loved others the way that we love ourselves, we wouldn't have a problem doing this. We wouldn't have a problem relinquishing and esteeming others and, and walking about, not as a prideful people, but as a humble people. See, this is what Jonathan demonstrates for us. And this is really what the Bible teaches to us, that we are to love others as we love ourselves. Where have you guys heard that before? You're like, hey, I've heard that somewhere, right? Jesus said, Matthew 22:39, and the second commandment is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13.9, it talks about all these commandments and it says they're all summed up in this saying, namely, love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5.14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then James, it says the same thing in chapter 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as Yourself. How could Jonathan give up the kingdom? And not, not just a man giving up a position, but if you know a little bit about Jonathan, you know that he's a very faithful fighter for the Lord. He's a brave believer in the Lord. I mean, he led them to victories, you know. And so, and I really believe the only reason Jonathan didn't go and fight Goliath, I'm just thoroughly convinced because his dad didn't let him. I mean, it's, it's got to be the reason, you know. Because, you know, Jonathan was just awesome. I mean, he would have made a great king. He would have made an awesome king. But the Lord said, no, not you. David's going to be king. Now, most men would struggle with that. They'd say, no, I should be there. I've got all the qualifications to be there. I should be there. And we struggle with things like that, right? But Jonathan says, no, no problem, because I love him. I love him just like I love myself. 
You know, one person was asking me, why do you think that the Lord didn't allow Jonathan to be the king? And I really believe that the only reason Jonathan wasn't king is because of his father. It was the failure of his father, right? Saul's disobedience that was then, the kingdom was then torn away from him. It wasn't Jonathan's fault. And so this guy had everything, the heart, the skills, but he was there so readily, so easily, so obediently submitting to the Lord. You see, if only we loved our neighbor as we love ourselves, we'd be able to do some pretty amazing things, you guys. We'd be humble and upright. And you know, it might be considered drastic or classic, but really it's basic. Jonathan does so good here. I pray that you would be moved by him, and and so does David. Because look what we read in verse 5. It says, And so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. You know, Jonathan did good, right? And, and David did good as well. And we learn from these guys. I pray that you would learn that it would never be a power trip in your life. You know, I know what it's like to be, you know, second fiddle. And sometimes when you're your second, you want to be on top. And that's a, that's a strong temptation. You know, you want, this is always a temptation. Whether you're second or third or whatever, you know, second, there's that temptation. I want to be on top. And then when you're on top, you, you want to make sure that no one else, you know, takes your spot. I remember when I was wrestling, you know, and I used to wrestle in high school. And you'd always have these guys that want to challenge you every single week. And, you know, eventually, you know, either you're the, you're the varsity or not, you know. But, but a lot of times, you know, there would be challenges, you know, and you have to kind of be up to that. You can take that mentality into the church. But we shouldn't have that mentality. You know, we should really have a mentality that says, you know what? It's not my job to put myself on top. I will not do that if God wants to. Cool. And, and it's not my job to keep my place on top, so to speak. Who's on top? And what does that mean? It, it doesn't really mean a lot in the kingdom of God. I'm thoroughly convinced that when we go to heaven, it's not going to be the pastors getting the greatest rewards. You guys probably know that, although you know, we don't know. Maybe there's some good guys out there, but they're getting a lot of glory already. They're getting a lot of spotlight already. They're getting pats on the back already. It's the ones that are behind the scenes a lot of times, I think, that are doing it just for no glory. And they're there and they're faithful prayer words or whatever it may be. You know, the Lord knows the heart, but whatever you do, don't think that that's the way it works. Well, they're number one and they're number two. That's not the way it works in God's kingdom. And so we need to learn from Jonathan, and we're going to see even more about this as we study the life of Saul. But we also need to learn from from David here, because notice what it says. It says in verse 5 that David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. He behaved wisely. We'll read that same phrase in verse 14. We'll read it again in verse 15. And then even again in verse 30 of this chapter, how David behaved very wisely. You know, and some versions say that they'll take the same Hebrew words and they translate it that David succeeded. David achieved success. And, you know, it's pretty interesting. Uh, You guys know Warren Wiersbe, right? because I quote from him a lot, right? His commentary on 1 Samuel, do you know what it's called? 
It's called be successful. Be successful. Now, of course, we're not talking about success in the world's eyes. We're talking about success in God's eyes. David, apparently, is an example of an individual who, as a general rule of thumb, was successful. And and, and how was he successful? Well, the answer is there in verse 5. He behaved, not just believed, he behaved wisely. And that's the heart that we have to have. You know, when you behave wisely, you will achieve spiritual success. That's what happens whenever you behave wisely. You achieve success. And, and, and when you think about this, David behaved wisely. You, you almost can't help but contrast the words that describe Saul. When Samuel spoke to Saul in 1 Samuel 13, 13, he said, You have done foolishly. And there's the contrast. Right there, it's not real complicated or sophisticated. The ones that behave wisely succeed, spiritually succeed in life. And the ones that behave foolishly, that do foolishly, will fail. Will fail in life. And God just lays it out real clear. Life or death, which one do you want? And that's the contrast we see between David and between Saul. You behave wisely, you find success. You behave foolishly and you find failure. David behaved wisely, so he rose in rank. Saul then promoted him, it says, over the men of war. And notice it even says there in verse 5 that the people accepted him, even the servants of Saul. And so God was just doing a work in David's life, right? But notice what we read next in verse 6. It says, Now it happened, as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now, of course, this is now a turning point, huh? (laughs) To say the least. Now the point we're going to see is this a crazy, paranoid man, jealous, envious, insecure. Saul was thoroughly threatened by David. And, And undoubtedly, things were probably already kind of brewing within. But when he heard these women sing the song, you know, I mean... Throughout the land, it just it just devastated him. We read in verse eight that he was uh, angry and displeased. Why? Because they said David's killed tens of thousands, you know, and me, all they gave me was thousands, right? I mean, you could hear it now. I could, we should have Christy play that song uh, later. It would be weird, huh, with the tambourines and the joy and all this stuff, man, and. I mean, and you know, and just in, in one sense, you know, you're reading it. Now they came to Saul, and as a leader, let me share something with you. As a leader, you know, this should make Saul happy that his 
His people are happy, that his people are, are, are filled with joy and dancing and singing, and, and there's victory in the land. God has raised up an individual who's anointed and appointed to do this wonderful task. I mean, as a, as a true leader, this should just make him so happy. But the problem was Saul wasn't a true leader. We're going to see as we go through this whole thing. You see, when you're a spiritual leader, it doesn't matter who gets the credit, right? All that matters is that God gets the glory. You know, and David may have, you know, led the battle and killed the tens of thousands, but everybody knows the women were singing. They knew it was God. So God was getting the glory. Who cares who gets the credit, right? But here is where Saul fell. You know, we read again in verse 8 that he was angry and displeased. But the bottom line is, that in one sense, they were, they were telling the truth, you know. I mean, Saul had been there. He didn't want to lead his army into battle when Goliath was there. I mean, they were just being accurate. Sometimes the truth does hurt. Now, from what I understand, many times, if not most of the time, we find him here angry. Anger, do you guys ever get angry? Raise your hand. No, I'm just joking. I want to have you guys do that, man. You know, from what I understand, anger has at its heart, at its core, at its root. Here's a few, a couple of things that that you can kind of trace the real reason for anger. Usually, unless it's a godly anger, and that is number one, pride, and then number two, fear. Pride and fear, and those were the two things that were just massive in Saul's heart, right? Saul was now afraid that Samuel's prophecy would come to pass. He was afraid to lose the kingdom. He was too proud to lose the kingdom. And so he was now about to do everything he could to stop David and really to stop God because he knew the Lord was with David, but it didn't stop him from fighting this whole thing. That's how crazy this can get. And this is why it's so absurd to do this in the church. This is God's church. He's going to take care of it. He's going to put people where he wants to be. And if you're not and if you're if you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, God's going to take you down. Cuz it's his church. He's the head of the church. We don't need to fight about things like this. We don't need to be consumed by things like this. We just need to stay with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Cuz he's the head. But unfortunately, we find this so many times in the church. You know, Samuel here had prophesied about this whole thing. In 1 Samuel 15, 28, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours. Here it is, and this is where it hurts. Who is better than you? Oh, that hurts, huh? That hurts. What does that hurt? It hurts our pride, right? But it was true. It was true because of Saul's carnality it hurts a person's pride big time and so we read in verse 9 that Saul eyed David from that day forward another version says that from that time on Saul kept a jealous eye on David here's something interesting Warren Wiersbe said what the women saying didn't seem to affect David and that's really interesting didn't seem to affect David but their song enraged Saul Saul's response to David's success was exactly the opposite of John the Baptist when 
He was told of the success of Jesus. Remember in John chapter 3, when they came to John the Baptist and they said, Master, I don't get it. Everybody's going to, to this guy, Jesus. What did John the Baptist say? No problem. That's the way it's supposed to be. He must increase. I must decrease. But that wasn't Saul's heart, right? Warren Wisby went on to say, Envy is a dangerous and insidious enemy, a cancer that slowly eats out our inner life and leads us to say and do terrible things. Proverbs 14.30 rightly calls it the rottenness of the bones. Envy is the pain we feel within when somebody achieves or receives what we think belongs to us. Envy is the sin of successful people who can't stand to see others reach the heights they have reached and eventually replace them. You know, it really is an ugly sin. Uh, Solomon wrote about it in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. He said, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This is vanity and grasping for the wind. You know, unfortunately, we live in a world that is flowing and a body that's fallen to pride. And that's why Dr. Bob Cook often reminded us that everybody wears a sign. And this is where we are. We wear a sign that says, make me feel important. And, and we shouldn't be wearing that sign. You know, all of us here, I pray we would know that, you know, God loves us the same that we're equal, that we're all wicked, wretched, unworthy, unable sinners. We're all the same. It's only God who needs to be glorified. And if there is anything good in anyone here, get this straight, it is not them. It is God. God, God must be glorified. And no man and no woman. You see, but the problem is, is when we begin to think, well, I, I'm important and I've got it all together. And the Lord says, no, it's not you. And I never want it to be about you. That's when envy and pride start rearing their ugly head. You know, there's probably a little bit of Saul in us all. And so I want to encourage you all tonight, myself included. I want to just encourage you. And I don't know how it will work in your life. I don't know you know, what position, you know, you're talking about, or you're thinking about, or whatever it is, I don't know, you know, but where, wherever it is, I want to encourage you to be so careful of envy. One person said, as rust corrupts iron, so envy corrupts man. Another person said, envy is like a disease, it consumes the soul. There's a Jewish proverb that says, happiness vanishes when envy appears. We need to be so careful, right? Why are we like that? You know, I, I told you guys before, it's been said that the only thing more disturbing than a neighbor with a noisy old car is a friend with a quiet new one, right? <laughs> but here's the thing, and I, and I really want to challenge you, and, I, and I, just, I just pray, you know, that we would get beyond this. Because one guy said this, a person is truly great when he is not envious of his rival's success you know and and we as pastors we can think about the church down the street and oh they're you know they haven't even been around as long as us and now and they're bigger than us and and it could just man in so many ways it can creep its ugly head when in all reality we should be saying praise god praise god for that or they're overseeing this ministry and they haven't even been a christian as long as i have 
you know, and, and just praise the Lord. It's not about us. It's not about us being the best. And we have to have that heart. If we can get that heart, I love what this quote says. It says, there, there's a truly great person. And I remember reading a quote somewhere where someone said, a man can be used in a mighty way if he doesn't care who gets the credit and only cares that God gets the glory. And that's where we have to be. Bottom line is, there will always be Davids in our lives, new leaders, prominent, gifted, and able to carry the baton, replace us, praise God for them. And I remember one time someone made a comment, and thankfully, and I've heard numerous comments, to be honest with you, me involved in the ministry about how, you know, this guy in the ministry is such a blessing, you know. And, and I know the, the devil will come in and say, well, they're saying they're a blessing, Manny, and you're not a blessing. You know, that's kind of what they're saying, right? <laughs> and then I, but then I, I, I taught myself this. I, I said to them, and I, and I meant it, because I heard good counsel one day a long time ago, and this person told me, surround yourself as a pastor with people who are better than you. And I, and, I, and, I, and I believe in that. And, I, and I'm cool with that. And I thank God for that. It's not about me. It's not threatening. It's, it's a blessing. And we just got to let God, you know, do the work. I mean, even in our own hearts, esteeming others better than ourselves, loving our neighbors, truly loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, behaving wisely like David did so that he can then be successful as a follower of God and at the same time knowing that when you do, oh man, all hell's going to break loose. You know, yesterday I had a wonderful day, one of the greatest days I think I've ever had in my life. You know, just uh, amazing from sun up to sundown. I got to spend the time that I wanted with the Lord and the time that I wanted with my wife, and just, you know, watching a really cool Christian DVD. And even the food was good yesterday. It was just a good day, man, you know. And then today, boom, all hell breaks loose. And it's like, wow, I wonder if there is any connection. Yeah, the devil does not like that. And so he'll come at you, man, and he'll attack you, and things will happen. It's just like clockwork. You know, here's David behaving wisely, anointed, appointed by God, and then, boom, here comes Saul, (laughs) And we see that this guy just gets so crazy. Look what we read in verse 10 right here. It says, And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. And so David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. What a contrast there, huh? And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved, here it is, wisely, notice this time, in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, He was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Now, if you had a guy throwing a spear at you, you you would probably be afraid of him, wouldn't you? (laughs) 
But Saul was afraid of David, and we're going to see why it's just an, it's an amazing thing. It kind of makes sense that the distressing spirit comes upon Saul. It's just now a demonic time, a very dark time in his life, because envy is evil. Envy is demented. Jealousy is dark, and pride is deadly. Stay away from those things. As a matter of fact, when we read about Saul prophesying right here, uh, it says right there in verse 10, uh, again, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit came from God, came upon Saul, and he prophesied. And you're like, wait a minute, what's that? Well, the NLT explains it best. It says that he just basically began to rave in his house like a madman, right? And so David comes, as at other times, remember we've read about this, to soothe him with music. But this time, it, even that, even that doesn't work because it's getting worse. And you're going to see this right here. You're going to see something. David is growing and Saul is digressing. David is progressing. Saul is digressing. Before, at least the music would work. But now, even that doesn't work. The worship doesn't help him. Why? Because it's just, it's just taking deeper root. The sin is taking over his life. And we're going to see David is going to begin to grow. And then we're going to see even next week that he even has to flee for 10 years. Because when you really grow is when you're in the trials. Because God would prepare him to be a real king one day. And so David's on his way. He's progressing. Saul is digressing. David here comes to try to soothe him with music, but Saul kills him, or he tries to kill him two times. And, and then we read in verse 12 that Saul was afraid of David. Again, you had figured it would be the other way around. But it becomes understandable when you read on here to discover that the, the reason was it's because the Lord was with David and these demonic spirits in Saul. You guys know how it is when you read the Gospels. They knew the Lord, huh? And they were afraid of the Lord. And these demonic spirits that were tormenting Saul, they knew that's why he was afraid. They were afraid and they could see it. Saul could see it. Especially tragic here is the fact that the Lord, it says in verse 12, had departed from Saul. And, and you see a contrast here. And we're going to see it in many ways between Saul and Jonathan, how, how they, you know, Embrace David. Saul uh, would resist. Jonathan would submit to David. And, and then you see the contrast here between Saul and David, how the Lord was with David and how the Lord had departed from Saul. Now, for us as Christians, it's kind of cool because we have that promise, huh? The Lord is with you. And, and with David, it was so strong. If you go back to chapter 16... Look at verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of the Lord came and lived within you. You were anointed, so to speak. And so the, the Lord is with you as a Christian. He says that in Hebrews 13, 15, Matthew 28, 20. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
But sometimes, I remember one time my pastor used to, he used to say this a lot, let Jesus express himself through you. You know, be a vessel. Let Jesus express himself through you. And that's why we read next over here in chapter 16. Um, notice it says in verse 18, Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And notice, and the Lord is with him. See, it was evident. I mean, people could see it. People could probably even feel it. The Lord is with him. And we want to come to that place as well. I mean, the Lord is with you because you know that if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you're going to need to get saved tonight, okay? So that the Lord can be with you like this. But, but a lot of times people don't, don't really see that in us. Because a lot of times they see us. And that's not what you want. You want them to see the Lord. And here in looking at this, we see the contrast. And what we find is that the Lord was with David, but the Lord had departed from Saul. You know, one of the tragedies, look, if you would, real quick over 1 Samuel 28. This is when things got so bad with Saul that he went to, you know, uh, conduct a seance to kind of bring back Samuel from the dead. And I read this right here and it just breaks my heart. Look at what it says in verse 15 of 1 Samuel chapter 28. It says, Now Samuel said to Saul, because he, he brought him up, right? <laughs> Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore. I mean, does not that break your heart. And this is why, you know, we need to take things so seriously. And, and you know, we look at the warning in Saul's life and, you know, his problem was, you know, Samuel told him, there's a Lord great delight in, in burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's not a religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship in which we, we live our life in, in, in obedience to the Lord. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves traveling down the same place that, that, that Saul traveled down to the point where it digressed so dark and so demented that God had departed from him. And that's one thing we don't want. We want to follow the route of David. And, and, and really, in a, in a nutshell, what was the heart of this whole problem here? Here it is, you guys. Saul's primary concern was not the Lord's honor It was not the people's good. Saul's primary concern was himself. And that's where we have to just learn, no, no, it's not me. Lord, we're here for your honor. We're here for for their good. It's not about me. And if one day, Lord, you've got to replace me for your honor and their good, oh, Lord, Thank you. Not a problem. Why? Because it's for his honor and it's for their good. It's not about my kingdom. My kingdom go. His kingdom come. See, we we have to learn that. You know, Saul, unfortunately, uh, would not learn 
And so he tried to get rid of David in verse 13. He sent him off to the battlefield, making him a captain over a thousand, just hoping that he would die, just die. You ever feel that's about somebody? I hope they would die. I hope they leave the church. See, God sees your heart. I mean, some people, believe it or not, they feel that way. And you're, you're, you're in the same league as Saul. I want you to know that. Saul's just hoping, man, I'll put him in the army. I hope he dies. Again, we read that David behaved wisely in verse 14. Again, verse 15, in all his ways. So Saul's even more afraid. Now, remember we read back in verse 5 of this chapter that all the people accepted David. But now notice what we read here. It's so cool. It says that all Israel, verse 16, all Israel and Judah, what? They loved David. It's cool, huh? I mean, because this guy was, was, was this man. He was in love with the Lord. He was in it for the right reason. He was anointed and appointed by God. The people saw it. He would be the one to lead him out to the battles. The people saw him in that practical sense. He led them in their campaigns. And so they all loved him, except Saul. <laughs> Not everyone did, right? Saul did it, and it's tragic when a person gets into this warped and wicked mindset, and then what ends up happening is the human wills begin to turn. How can I outwit God? <laughs> right? A lot of people live their life. You want to know how they live? They are schemers. Schemers. Right? That's not faith. That's how Saul lived. He was a schemer. In verse 17, then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Murab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Valiant for who? Valiant for me. Oh, that doesn't look good, right? For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And so David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, as wife. And here we see Saul considers giving his daughter to David if he would just fight the Philistines and die. Right? He figured, you know what, I won't come against him. I'll allow the Philistines to eventually, I'm sure inevitably he's going to die, right? And, and, and David, you know... And this is something that he was supposed to have done because even when David fought the giant, that was part of the promise. Whoever defeats the giant gets, you know, Saul's daughter. But, you know, he wasn't a man of his word. Another one of his characteristics that were very flawed. But David just doesn't feel worthy to be the king's son-in-law. And you want to know something? Here's what happens a lot. And I think we can identify with this is that there are times where we, we say, you know, oh, no, I'm not worthy. And inside we're thinking, you know what, but I am. I am, you know, but I'm just going to say it. Oh, I know what to say. I'm not worthy. And David, I really, when I read it, I think he really meant it. He really meant it. You know, and even though it would have been an honor, he doesn't consider himself honorable. And I really do believe that was genuine. Second Samuel 7:18 says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? I mean, when it was all said and done, and David had done a lot of amazing things, I mean, 
when you really look at his life and even this time when he's on the run with the 400 men in the cave and 600 and just all the things that he did, writing part of the Bible, I mean, just name it, so many things. Yeah, he had his failures, but, but truly, truly, he just said, Lord, who am I? And I think there was a genuine humility about him that God honored, right? And and that's something that, you know, we'll, we we get challenged in, like, Let's just say you, you are humble, but then God blesses you in a sense and you get successful. A lot of guys don't stay humble. A lot of guys, once that happens, they start to believe the press and things get to their head. And next thing you know, they, they'll tell you how they did it, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and the Lord David, he didn't have that heart. He just stayed humble even after it was all said and done. And so we're going to be tested. Proverbs 27:21. it says in the NIV, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But man is tested by the praise he receives. It's a real interesting phrase. I mean, when people begin to say how good you are or whatever it is, that's when you're tested. And that's really, you know, when you have to check your heart. But here's the thing, okay? Let's just say someone does come up to you and say, man, you are amazing, right? Whatever it is, right? You're amazing, man. You're so gifted and anointed. Holy Spirit's all over you. I can see it. And God's using you in a tremendous way. You know what that should do to you? It should humble you. It really should just humble you because you should be in tune with who you really are. And, and we're sinners, unworthy, unable. We've always been that. God has done a work in our life. And if anything, I get embarrassed once in a while. I get embarrassed. I don't, I've changed the subject. I don't want to talk about it. I don't believe it. And you're like, well, neither do I. Well, praise God for that, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that should humble us, you guys, when that happens. And that's what happened, I think, to David. You know, you feel uncomfortable when things like that happen. Warren Wiersbe says if praise humbles us, then God can use us. Here, David, just, oh, I'm not worthy. And so Saul says, okay, and he gives her to someone else. And verse 20, it says, Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And so Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, saying, I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner David spoke, and then Saul said, Well, thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines, remember they're uncircumcised, right? To take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And so when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law, because he likes to kill Philistines, right? He fights the Lord's battles, right? And now the days had not expired. And therefore David arose, went he and his men, and killed two hundred men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full count to the king. 
that he might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. And so Saul became, here's this, the, the saddest part right here, Saul became David's enemy continually. Oh, man. Does not, doesn't that break your heart? And then the princes of the Philistines, they went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved, notice again, more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. And so Michal, Saul's daughter, fell in love with David. And they told Saul, once again, his warped, wicked mind began to turn. And Saul said, I'll give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Now, maybe she was weird. I don't know. Uh, But more than likely, it was just, again, the same old thing. I want to get him to fight the Philistines and die there somehow. And so Saul asked his servants to convince David. And David, again, didn't he consider himself to be worthy Uh, In verse 23, he admits honestly, humbly, his own poverty. And so what ends up happening is Saul says, okay, well, I'll tell you what, no dowry required 100 Philistine foreskins, right? Actually wanting David to die. But David once again rises to the occasion and brings back 200 Philistine foreskins and that he might become the king's son-in-law. And, you know, now Saul knew more than ever before that the Lord was with David. And and when you really know the Lord is with him, why would you why would you fight unless you are just thoroughly blind? Right? And that's what happened to Saul. His own daughter fell in love with David and then Saul was even more afraid of him. And so the enemy gets his way, of course God would use it, but we read those terrible words there in verse twenty nine that Saul became David's enemy continually, and what that means for the rest of his life. And that just breaks your heart. First Samuel 16:21 says that one time Saul loved David. Now we read that he's his enemy for life. He hates him, he sees him erringly as an enemy, and he just is buried by envy. It won't be long, you know, David will be on the run. Uh, from Saul, and that's kind of like, well, well, how does that hurt? Why, why is that happening? Well, it's just because what we see is that God is going to prepare the king through the tough times. It'll be 10 years of trials and false accusations and full-on injustices, a hard life for 10 years. And the Lord basically says, you're going to run a nation, then you need some preparation. And if you find yourself maybe tonight going through trials or going through whatever those challenges are, whatever those difficulties are, you know what? Embrace them. Stay focused on the Lord. He's preparing you for something great. Again, the title of Wiersbe's commentary on 1 Samuel is to be successful. And that's my prayer and that's God's desire for all of us here to be successful as as Christians, you know, as God followers. Not, not, you know, rich physically, but rich spiritually, you know. The peace and the joy and the love and just the freedom that he gives us, you know, to be successful. But there's this, you know, deal that we, we got to cooperate in his grace to behave wisely. Watch what we think. Watch what we say. Watch what we do. Watch the decisions that we make. 
Live according to his word. Find out what your problems are. And then whatever they are, find out what the solution is. It's found in the Bible. And then you really begin to live God's word out. You know, in the end, and and probably one of the most important things about this chapter, and I really could have just done a totally different study, and I think you guys know what it is, is that David is a picture of Jesus. I mean, down to to, to the core of what this is, although everything I set up to this point is true, I wouldn't be surprised if the main point of this story right here is that David is a picture of Jesus. And, and, and what we find is Saul is a picture of the man of the flesh who is just fighting for the right to the throne, fighting for the right to do his own will, who will not allow Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of his life, to really yield that heart to him. Saul is like that, and he fights him to the very end. You know, if you're here today and you don't allow the Lord to rule over your life, to be the Lord of your life, then one day when you die, you'll end up in hell. In hell. You don't want to go the way of Saul. And even as a Christian, a lot of times they're fighting. Oh, no, I'm going to, you know, and, and you might say the right things, but you're not, you're not doing the right things. And you're, and you're not like Jonathan. Jonathan is the type of the the disciple, the committed follower, the, the you know the the one who just surrenders, just surrenders to the Lord. Here's my robe, here's my sword, here's my bow, Lord. I know I have the freedom to call the own shot. I know I have the freedom to do my own thing. That's something you've given to me, but I relinquish that to you, Lord, and I give it to you. See, that's the picture, and I pray we would all come to Jesus like Jonathan did. In every area of our life, you guys, every day, so many things happening. And that's my prayer, you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and allowing us to study for Samuel chapter 18 together. Lord, I do praise.